recording. Nice. Step one. All right. Uh, welcome to Good to Geek Out. Good place to go to geek out. We are continuing our coverage of Mandalorian season two, episode three, aka chapter eleven, called "The Heiress," which is a very, very heavy title. Editor, ready to cover this with my boys. What's up, fellas? Hey, Rob Lucy, coming at you from Phoenix, Oregon, rising from the ashes. Uh, big spoilers ahead, uh, and I am thankful that we had such huge surprises in this episode with the spoilers that we were dropping uh, even before the season came out. Did not see it coming. Happily surprised. Excited to talk about it. Boba Fresh, San Francisco. Great to see everybody. But I can't see you, but you know what I mean. All right. Um, right off the bat, uh, we get the <laughs> the dilapidated bucket. Uh, what's it called? The crest? Uh, crash the crest. Razor crest crashing down onto Trask. Ah, I, they, they really have great cold openings this season. I don't think I've disliked any of them. And this one, even with a little humor at the end, was perfect. It was very, very well done. What'd you guys think about the intro? Comparison to the other ones as well, I guess. Uh, overcoming adversity, uh, again, top notch special effects. Uh, little tongue in cheek. They had the uh, Imperial Walker-like crane. I thought that was a, a a great effect, a great design, pulling him out. And then the uh, the calamari just kind of shaking his head. <laughs> All right, I can't fix it, but I'll get it going again. I uh, I agree. I think it was great that they actually injected a lot of positive in this episode. Like. Um, I'll get into it later, but like between the funny things and good things happening to people, quote unquote, um, I thought it was great on the cold open, like perfect little bop, like a great little like joke uh, <laughs> bloop, like the, the timing was simply perfect. And when you think like this is all being done CGI to like the, to, to time the music, to come up with, you know, all of these visuals and it puts you there, you know, like that's, the, uh, everything kind of intertwines as well as any other cinematic piece. It was great. Uh, also an episode uh, done by Bryce Dallas Howard, who did uh, the two heartfelt episodes from last season. And you could tell right from the beginning, this was a little pulling at the heartstrings, right? When the frog people uh, meet each other. What, which other episodes did they do? Did uh, you do? did the one when they're on the forest planet. Okay. Get to it. Ooh, moving on. So we're... Uh, on the water planet, we see the Moan Calamari and the, what are they called? The Corrin? What are they called? Corrins. Yeah. Corrin. Um, I thought it was great getting to your point, and this is my first thing about good things happening in this episode. Um, when they, I believe they're more salamandery than they are uh, frog, uh, but maybe, you know, like they're tree frogs, whatever. I'm on. The great thing is when they see each other in the dock and you're just like, oh my God, like they, there's no way they're going to find each other. And then like when she's running to him, I'm like, something's going to happen to her. I was like, they're, they're, they're hanging on the shot too long. Like sounds like she's going to get snatched up. He's going to get shot. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, and then they hug. And I was like, oh, God, what a relief. This is really nice. This is really nice. And when they go back to their place, I was like, 
uh, like stormtroopers, or someone's gonna bust into this place and like wreck these two gecko people and their their egg babies. And nah, man, they have a great episode. I have never seen anyone in Star Wars have a better interaction with the world than those two geckos have from beginning to end. No strife in their life as soon as they meet up, and I love it. He doesn't even eat their babies. He doesn't even eat their babies. Like I was like, oh, he's. Like this is going too well. This is going too well. No. Yeah, no. Um, what's what's the the? I mean, besides like obviously the end. What's the biggest obstacle? Is Baby Yoda dealing with the octopus in his chowder? Like that's not. There's nothing too heavy. Stop playing with your food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do like the way he doesn't even look and he stabs the thing just the right way to make it fall. That was that was very like subtle, but uh, it was pretty pretty cool. Uh, so um, from there, you know, uh, Mando, of course, gets his uh, passage with the Quarrens, and uh, they're pirates. Pirates, pirates do what pirates do. I did not like the comparisons I saw online to Pirates of the Caribbean. Somehow thinking this was tied to it or an illusion, like oh, um, yeah, Dead Man's okay, Chest or whatever. The, uh, Davy Jones. Yeah, there you go. Um, I always got more of a Cthulhu vibe from Quarren, and to be quite honest, Agreed. because of Cthul- you know, because of D and D, my first intro to Cthulhu was really Mind Flayers. So, like, I always got like an Illithid Mind Flayer kind of vibe from. I think that the Quarrens, the way that they set that up and delivered, was great because the boat was lived on. Like, there's something about the Millennium Falcon, you know, like everything, the Death Star can be clean. You can do all these other effects that are real world. But sometimes when you just get the dirt right, uh, and I felt that the boat's dirt was right. Something that I did find odd, nerding out, is that they're quarantined. So why do you have a surface boat? Um, (laughs) Transport, transporting goods, I think. You know, I, they played it so cool. Like they, they got the uh, Mandalorian by surprise. Hey, come over here. I'll show you ever seen one of these. Eight. Check it out. Uh, get, get him a little bit closer. And then, wow. Um, I mean, then, you know, then we get the Mandalorians coming in, the Night Owls recognized from Clone Wars cartoon and Rebels cartoon. Um, and we get the introduction uh, in this live action version of the voice actress that played her on. Uh, Clone Wars, Bo-Katan. Bo-Katana. Bo-Katana. And I think it, it's important to say that a lot of people were probably unfamiliar with her, unless you've seen Clone Wars and Rebels. She's just like another Mandalorian. Um, but there's there's some huge importance there uh, because she she really closes some loopholes where she's like, oh, you're from the Children of the Watch, the re- the the uh, religious zealots. So that closes that loophole of why, why, why on Rebels, why on Clone Wars were the, the, the um, Mandalorians always taking off their helmets? Because they always could. But then there was this side shoot, and that's, this is what a lot of people only know that, um, of Mandalorians from what they've been introduced now. I thought they nailed the blue color. I thought they nailed everything about, about them from the Clone Wars, uh, as they should, because the executive producer, um, you know, or main director, uh, Filoni. Yeah, Filoni. That's his baby, Clone Wars. Or a lot, not not completely his, but um, Clone Wars and Rebels. Because I, I went, I went back to watch the, uh, her episodes to see if the characters had any dramatic shift. Um, aside from being part of Death Watch at one point, 
Uh, it's not really much of a shift in her character. A little, a little bit, um, since she's kind of hunting for the Darksaber here, and the last time... You she was the last person to have the Darksaber. Yeah. The last person that we saw with the Darksaber. But she also kind of did it reluctantly, and it was for her sister, who used to be the Duchess of Mandalore. It wasn't necessarily like, this is mine and I deserve it. So to see her here, you know, a little further down the, the history, um, down the timeline, to be like this is mine. I want it. You know that she's something happened from the empire going to Mandalore and stripping her. Oh so, yes. Yeah, so somebody and took it. That, from that's her. a, that's a, that's going to be a great story. But she was her. never down with her sister's pacifist views of yeah. what Mandalore should be. They Just were at odds. With, yeah. She's like, eh. yeah. And then she ended up dying. So well, murdered, you know, she, she, you know, uh, based on what we've seen from, uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, she is the rightful heir to the, uh, you know, the throne of Mandalore. Mm -hmm. But she needs that Darksaber. Um, they do also men mention uh, Mandalore being uninhabitable. And if you see it in Rebels, it is kind of like a barren planet a little bit from the byproduct of warring, a warring society, societies. Um, what do you think about that? And I think that Ed is skirting like what the real point of Mandalore is just like the real point of any of the worlds are every world is a monolithic like you don't ever have an earth you don't ever have a place that's got a polar caps and a place that's got jungles and a place like everything is one thing because every planet is a metaphor for something um, the barrenness of Tatooine the coldness of the Empire's deaths the cold can't you know like there's all these uh, analogies, the frozen nature of Hoth, like how they're stuck in uh, the place. Um, and so I think that Mandalore ends up being this metaphor for war. Like war is an unsustainable place. Like you cannot, like it scars the land, it destroys everything, it depletes everything. Um, and you, you know, everyone is a refugee. You know, like war makes that, like, you know, if you think about the moon, the moon's a refugee camp. Like before we go to the interaction between um, Jin Jardin and the Mandalorians and the Night Owls, uh, her reaching in to say, take my hand, total flashback to him becoming a child of the watch and the previous Mandalorian reaching in and helping him from that little, you know, but whatever little thing he was trapped in when, the, when he became a, a Mandalorian the first time. And so you see him take her hand and then ideologically they're obviously different and he just takes off as opposed to becoming a That's child. a, uh, yeah, no, that's a really good point. And it's, it's setting up for uh, whether or not they're going to, you know, see eye to eye later. Well, certainly, you know, Those they things... start using the, uh, this is the way. Well, this is like, so they have, they have a different idea of yeah, what, what is the, the way, way. is. Yeah, exactly. And is she using that just to kind of manipulate him in a way? <laughs> um, because uh, she almost kind of rolls her eyes when she says it one time, like, oh, this is the way, this is... Yeah, and they never they never say it in the other ones. I did watch uh, Rebels, and I think, or maybe it was Clone Wars, and they do say this is the way once, but then, like, it's a sentence. It's not like, but that's the only time you ever hear it referenced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of those retroactive things where yeah. this is the way it came up for this show, and, um, you know, you can only go back and rewrite so much history. Um I think that the introduction, I think that the introduction 
of the characters was great. I liked seeing them in action more than I liked them in their dramatic roles. Uh, the dude, I really liked the dude. Uh, like they didn't give him any lines really. Like he kind of just hung out in the background. Like I was like, yeah, I could, I relate to that guy. Like I, I'm seeing the world through uh, the window he has there. Um, but them setting that up, the way that they work, this is the way is a, in my, in my opinion, is a great little play on, you know, the may the force be with you. And, you know, we saw in the last episode, like he says to the, like, you know, those cops, like may the force be with you. So like what these terms mean to uh, different people and, and how they can be manipulated within inflection. And maybe she's trying to be like, yo, like, you know, <laughs> like man like it is it's such an interesting epitaph because it's just like yo like this is the way no matter what you're doing if you say this is the way like this is the way it's kind of like you're not to get into it it's kind of like how being presidential has completely changed because who's president has changed what being presidential is and so you have like this way of being like this is the way if if donald trump's like well being presidential is the way this is the way you can edit that out don't you have to go on that uh, uh, they they have done a masterful job on Dank Ferrick though. They're really working that in. <laughs> they're they're going to spearhead that more than this is the way. Um, where, where are we at? So then, uh, you know, as Jin Jardin leaves him, he gets cornered by the Corins. Of course, who catch up to him and are ready to take him out. And that's when uh, the Night Owls come back and save him and begin their uh, bargaining to see if they're going to be eye to eye and see if they're if the way is their way or if it's going to be separate. One of the things that bothered me about this universe going on about monolithic planets and, and just these things, when he's like, yeah, you know, the stormtroopers, they can't shoot the side of a bantha. I was like, really? Like, there's no other, there's no, uh, no, zero other animals in the universe that people use colloquially. Like this backwater, backwater, backwater porn. <laughs> Anyway, I, I, it, it again was one of those like, it was one of the overly done fan that, services. Don't shove those, it down yeah, my, don't in, shove it down my throat. <laughs> yeah, one of those forced in. It wasn't surgically <laughs> implemented. It was just like ramrodded in. We so, get uh, it. We're already watching Star Wars, bro. <laughs> like, we get it. <laughs> Uh, so he's dropping uh, baby Yoda off. I, I thought that, that uh, be on your best behavior. You know what I mean. Like, don't eat the eggs or the babies. <laughs> that was a little which, bit. Which I thought right was. There. Which I thought was a good tongue in cheek because that you know he eats. Them. But yeah, no um, pun intended. Uh, but the other thing is, is that it's like you can tell that this is a different writer like because again like i'm super a different director because i'm super nervous that someone's gonna break in and shoot the shit out of those geckos you know like uh and so you can again like that was the first time like something like like he leaves them there and like you know like they come back and there's a birth scene and you know does that tadpole have the force i don't know maybe the tadpole has the force it could i mean how young do you have to be to have the midic florians in you um I mean, I that, that, the whole... that, that, that whole scene with the uh, geckos is, um, you know, it's Yoda's maturation from like an infant to a toddler, right? Like he understands 
consequence and like if he doesn't if he didn't eat the eggs this is what comes out and then he like loves it and pets it and you know even jokes to mando about taking it home um so like it's it's a it, it seems like it's like kind of just cutesy kind of stuff and good-hearted stuff but it's also showing a slight maturation on yoda baby yoda or the kid sorry and what he uh he's slowly growing too it's not like only uh Jin Jardin is changing and growing long live the empire <laughs> speaking of the empire uh no that that long live the empire yell uh equating them to kamikaze pilots after the war is done pretty much right it's like he took, and then they he bites the uh <laughs> the cyanide pill of their of the uh that galaxy or whatever great great um i loved it great tech up of a common trope uh, like to, like the the visual on it was great. Like we knew exactly what was happening because we've seen it so many times. Uh, totally dope. I loved the way that they had set them up. The uh, the shootouts with the stormtroopers in the hallways, which I always think are funny because I'm like, who's building these bulwark hallways that always have places to hide behind? You, you know what? Um, I, I noticed that too, and I. Uh, had recently with the kids watched uh, A New Hope and right when Darth Vader enters into the freighter it's that hallway with like the the points of cover it the hallways looked almost identical in yeah. the freighter and then the uh, freighter from A New Hope where yeah, no, they totally like, uh, puts your head around the corner outside the door and then sneaks off into one of the, the uh, no, totally towards there towards an escape pod um yeah no Continuity just like right there just like how Ed was saying that they had redone that shot, that was basically a shot for shot of Darth Vader's entrance. If the, I'm like, where all the stormtrooper, where all the stormtroopers were, it was like where all the rebels were mm-hmm. in that shot. So like just them mirroring that, like that's the kind of fan service that I like. It's beautifully so- done, <laughs> beautifully done. We also got to see our first uh, shot of Moff Gideon in season two. Mm. So you know oh, yeah. that's, yeah. that's coming to a head at some point. <laughs> She's looking. Well, he, he's the side. main villain, and and throughout this, he's obviously the main villain. Um, and I think what's interesting, the way that he was revered and feared, uh, more feared than revered, possibly. Uh, I think they might be setting him up to be a possible force wielder of some kind. Uh, so why else would he be so afraid? Of, of Moff Gideon, where this guy would, instead of like running off and hiding, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna only, not only gonna suicide myself, I'm gonna take everybody else out on this ship and, and, and do it without hesitation. So, so he has this true Emperor uh, Darth Vader-like uh, respect or fear, which has only been given to other, other force wielders at this point in time. I took a different uh, take on that entire interaction. I took it more as a symbol, again, if this episode is about mirrors, like this is a mirror of fanaticism. Like, like we're seeing, like, she's like, yo, boat, like, boat tans, like, you're a fanatic, dude. Like, you're part of, like, these people who are dedicated and will do anything for the, the cause. 
And on the other end, we see this guy who is dedicated. He is a fanatic. He's down for the empire. Like he believes in what the empire is. I don't think he's scared of um, homeboy because he's about to die. Like, like there's no, there's no strings attached, you know, like if you're going to die. Well, he, like, he, he says he's scared of him. When, when uh, Bo-Katana says, Hey, give up the information. I'm, yeah, no, nah, he didn't. He seemed like he was, I, I read that more as him being like, I've beaten you because you're not going to get it. Cause you already know the answer to this. Um, which I think again was great seating for the dark saber and Bo-Katan and threading together the various, uh, intellectual properties of star Wars. But I have not yet gotten the feeling that he is a force wielder as much as he's just someone who's super charismatic in the middle of a vacuum, a power vacuum in a military structure. I, I could see both your points, but the fanaticism, if that's like a, a tone for the episode, you can hear it in uh, Bo-Katan's voice when she speaks about the Darksaber as well. She's just as big of a fanatic uh, trying to get that back. So yeah, there's definitely like an undertone of fanaticism in the episode if you go that route then i'd i'd lean towards strotter's uh assertion i mean don't get me wrong i would i, I would love moff gideon to be a force wielder i like i mean i've been looking at his 375 uh 375 uh toy that's come out and i'm like oh man like i might need to get me a moff gideon and stand that up i don't i don't need another toy in here but damn maybe uh uh, to finish off the cargo heist. So, yes, Ed, I think that this is their version of the train heist done super well. Um, probably the highlight of Solo for me, um, the movie. Uh, and so it was good to see that they were going to touch that Western trope in this series where they've already touched so many different Western tropes. The surprise, the shock, my they have every episode they have some phenomenal acting from someone who's not important the mom calamari dock worker yeah one and the other one is the pilot on the ship who's just like uh the guy on the left his his face processing all of this stuff is just so it's just so great you know like um he's, he's it, that it, kid from the sticks in idaho or something that just signed up for this exactly like what's going like what is going on right now and then you know is he gonna kill me right now what's going on I don't know. i'm just a good pilot well he's thinking that there's four mandalorians that have just smoked every other stormtrooper that's in this thing and he definitely knows he can't take on the stormtrooper he's a pilot yeah, he, well, he's the one where the, the voice comes in. There's at least ten of them, and then he's like, uh, "Sir, there are only four life forms." <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> Which I thought was sort of super. Yeah, like I said, uh, superb, superb acting from a just like I said, side character. And I, I do like the way it's it started out serious but comical, uh, slightly. At the very end, we get the same thing when. Uh, it's kind of funny that last episode you were mentioning how ridiculous uh, the term Mon Calamari is for it, like a people that are squids pretty much, or little, little crustaceans or whatever. And uh, to have him just yell, 
Mon Calamari at the end, and just all you see is nets and fishing lines to like Mickey. I wish he would have said this is a Mickey Mouse job just for Disney. That would have been maybe probably been a little too heavy handed, but it would have been kind of funny because that was the biggest Mickey Mouse job I've ever seen on a starship. So my final uh, big takeaway on that, the Mon Calamari, uh, that whole interaction, like I said, putting that voice with him, uh, just the ships just beat up. Like I said, it's just very lived in, um, just a very lived in kind of world. What I really liked at the end is that when they do get in the cockpit and you're seeing that there's still all the seaweed and netting and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is Yoda. This is Dagobah. And so you see Dagobah blended in with the Mandalorian. Like they're there now intertwined in a certain way. Like the living, the life force that Yoda is all about, that this the kid's all about is now, li- you know, literally uh, you know, yeah. inside and intertwined with the ship. It's also kind of dope when you still see pieces falling off. Like it's not even fully fixed or secured yet. You just see it. I didn't know what it was at first when he closed it. And then when you're in space, I saw another random block drop. Like, oh, that's pieces of the ship. They're fun. <laughs> Still janky. Anything else, uh, Lucy? Completely impressed. Uh, yeah, they outdid themselves again. Uh, can't wait to uh, see where the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, the kid, end up next. And if we if we see Ahsoka Tana, I, I think we'll see Ahsoka at the end of the next episode somehow or another is my is my prediction i hope so um all right on that note uh episode four i'm super excited about i'm sure we're gonna have a ton of shit to talk about different shit as always uh editor san antonio geek out and geek on but fresh editor san antonio (laughs) but fresh san francisco peace Robert Luce, Phoenix, Oregon, rising from the assage. Uh, thanks for uh, watching. Like, comment, subscribe. I'm sure somebody's reading the comments. <laughs> See you guys soon. <laughs>